Hi, welcome to a new African podcast where we talk everything African. Enjoy our authentic story, past, present, and perspective. Don't forget to subscribe and click the notification button after this. Sit back, reset, and uh, be ready to relearn with us. Hi, everyone. My name is Cranston Hankwenda. I'm very happy to be here. I am pleased to introduce to you Dr. Molapo Selepe, who's my co-host for this episode. The purpose of this episode is for us to have a, an interesting conversation around this podcast, the, the A New African podcast, which is inspired by a trilogy of books authored by the prolific, somewhat silent Dr. Molapo Selepe. <laughs> Yes, uh, hello everyone. Uh, I'm Mulapo Slepe, and thanks, Cranston. Thanks for hosting me today. I'm looking forward to a conversation. Indeed. So, basically, it will be a conversation around the podcast, as I said earlier. But mm. this is a this is the uncut version. This is the executive producer version, where we're talking about the show from that perspective. Because mm. I am the co-executive producer for the New African Podcast. Yes, man, looking forward. Um, it's been an incredible journey. And uh, yeah, let's kick off. I'm here. For sure. So the, the, the podcast is going to be largely centered around that trilogy of books that I mentioned earlier called A New African. Mm. Um, it's a very comprehensive book. How many chapters in total? Uh, 22 in total. Um, it's three, three books and each book has got seven chapters. But the last book we've, you know, added an extra chapter there to make it 22. So it's supposed to be 21 in total. Um, but a set of um, incredible topics. Uh, the first book is about the history, um, you know, the past of Africa and so forth. In fact, I got uh, recent feedback. So most people who've started reading the book are on book one. <clears throat> And uh, the feedback, they say, hey, man, what a salient and, um, and simple way of putting the African history. And I think that was the idea, to make it nice and simple, digestible, and, um, and, and relatable. So that's the, the, the first book. The second book is about uh, where we're at at the moment. Um, so we're just looking at the topography of um, Africa, uh, where are the you know where where things are at, and then lastly, the last book we're looking at the future. What are the prospects about uh, the continent? Uh, there's a lot of challenges, uh, but if you if if you wear opt optimistic um, glasses like I do, um, really there's a lot of positives. So yeah, that's the the summary of the of the trilogy. That's interesting. So let's take it back to book one. Mm. Now, I've been very fortunate to have heard um, the, audio, the deluxe audio version, audio book version of the books. Uh. Um, there's a lot of information in there. Mm. Tell me one of the stories, one, which one of, of the seven chapters in, in book one, which is centered around an Af the African history, according to how you discovered it, you know, mm. in your mm. research journey. Yeah. Yeah. Which of those stories that you put into those chapters caught your attention the most? Ooh. Um, 
There's many, there's many, there's many. But I think for me, the one that really shakes my heart is the one about um, Uncle Sam, <clears throat> um, who was the, uh, the, the slave who led the um, slavery um, protest in Jamaica. Um, and... Um, yeah, this this the story uh, is incredible because he, um, yeah, he was finally you know prosecuted and um, and uh, sent on the gallows, but his death really led to the abolishment of slavery in England in nineteen in eighteen thirty four. Um, so I think he was executed in eighteen just a. Um, a year, uh, 1832, thereabout, and then that led to, you know, um, cascade of events that led to uh, the abolition of slavery in 18, 1834, 1835 in England. Um, so, but his story, just you know, his dedication, um, you know, I think a lot of people have said this um, this expression that I rather live a free in in slave in in, in poverty than to live, um, you know, um, any, um, to live a posh life, but being um, sl- in, in a slave, um, in an enslaved mind, as it were. So, um, and I think, you know, his, his dedication um, to the cause is incredible because then it, um, it leads to a revolt, which I think... Um, even though it is um, over 200 years ago, um, almost nearly 200 years ago, but it has led to a place where we can we can say um, somebody was courageous enough um, to start a revolt against oppression and suppression of the African people. The thing that's common with all of these martyrs and freedom fighters is the mm. brutality of their death. I mean, Jesus included, you know, mm. Paul and all those mm. figures in the New Testament or the Old Testament. Usually they were brutally killed, mm. you know. So if you know that that's your end goal, that's what you want to get go through, I don't know, you know, do you really want to start a freedom revolution and then have your your movement tainted by the the the, the, the veracity of your death? Well, I guess, you know, um, every hero has got, or every season has got its own hero. Um, and I guess maybe there were men who were called for their time. Um, but I, I honestly feel that time to die for freedom is, is gone. It's, it's, um, now it's time to live for freedom. Um, and I think we need, we're living at a time that we need to exert our humanity strong enough Mm. to know that, you know, we deserve to live. Um, our children de- deserve to live. We don't have to die in order to live, you know. Uh, but, I, you know, you know, at the same time, you really can't help but, you know, appreciate deeply the sacrifices they have made, mm. which were probably uh, unique and, and calling for their time. But we're living in a different time altogether. It's time to live. 
So segueing into book two, right? Book two is about the present. Mm. How would you summarize the mindset of, your, of, the, of the average current African? Well, there's a lot of positives in Africa, but there's a lot as well that reflects um, the oppression and the inequalities and injustices of the past. And so the African mindset, um, you know, it's not set in stone, but it is, um, it is in such a way that a lot of it can be traced to how um, the system was designed um, through uh, colonialism um, and through slavery, actually, to subjugate um, the African people. So I guess there's a lot of inferiority, um, which is really badly placed, and I think that's um, what our duty and responsibility is, to try to reverse that inferiority complex among Africans um, to, you know, um, uh, to really change the paradigm in a sense that, you know, we, you know, everything that we do, Cranston, it's, it's in the mind, you know. Everything that we are is in the mind. The mind reflects our reality and our reality reflects our mind. And um, unless, you know, the African mind is um, thoroughly free, it's going to be difficult to see that um, final freedom or the, the ultimate freedom in Africa. So I guess that's where we have a lot of work to do. It's a lot of work, man, because the amount of indoctrination and... I mean, it's not just common to Africans, by the way, though right yeah. now... Um, the African story is the subject of this podcast and many future episodes. I think it's a global thing. Mm. If you get a blank slate like a child, five-year-old, six-year-old, and you take them to a school system where you're just filling them with all of this theory and mm. basically the school system is their only source of knowledge, which mm. is reinforced by the parents who prepare their kids every day, so every school day, to take them to school, so mm. thereby contributing towards the whole fallacy. You know, so... The, the amount of indoctrination is just a global thing. And now, of course, say, for example, in apartheid South Africa, when there was two different, or probably three different education systems, mm -hmm. depending if you're black colored or, you know, pure white or pure blood or, you know, there's, it's, it's, such a, it's such muddled waters. But even then, there were different types of education. Mm -hmm. all, all of it's still called education. So the amount of damage starts way downstream and and I do appreciate the books and what they're attempting to do but at the same time I think it's going to take a bit more than just to read the books hence why we are coming up with this podcast where mm. we we delve into more issues that the book touches upon because of course three the reason why it went to three books at all is because there's just so much information there is you know there is, but don't underestimate the power of um, books and and mindset change. Um, I, I think you know, it's if you look in history, um, the big changes came with uh, big um, literary introduction, 
Um, and there's, there's, there's something amazing about um, the, written, the written word. Mm. Um, and there's something, there's a, there's a strong affinity between um, the change of mind and, and what's written down. The, the thing is, what we've lacked so much in, in Africa is to have our story written down in a way that is evidence-based, that is strong enough to... I mean, take, for instance, the subject of the land in, in South Africa. I mean, the whole of Africa, you know, the subject of the land. Um, you know, if somebody stole your land, where do you get <laughs> the strength and the courage or the evidence to say, you stole my land? Because it's your word versus their word, yeah. you know? Um, <clears throat> And so, and I've listened to EFF, you know, uh, um, in, um, economic. Juju babe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've listened to you know economic freedom fighters uh, trying to make a point about, you know, we, you know, um, our land has been stripped of us, and therefore we need our land back without any compensation, you know, which is a tall order. How do you convince people who have got title deeds? That well, the, you, you touch upon this in the book, by the way. I think it's mm. in chapter 6 of book 1 or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, chapter 4 of book 2, yeah. yeah. Not necessarily, because I haven't heard book 2. So it was in book 1, and there's, there was mention where uh. the organization of land and land ownership and, and where, where that so-called title is created, where it's stored, and then how it's, oh, yes, yes, it's, yes. it's categorically and deliberately moving from a Johnson to Johnson the second, to Johnson the third, yes. who are all, you know, not the owners of the land, whereas mm -hmm. in the, the, the native owners are not even, you know, mentioned anywhere near any of these titles. And mm. Again, it's a systemic thing I was talking about, where the, system, the situation is so, is so complex. Mm. You have, say, the court system, for example. You've got a court of appeals, you've got this, you've got that, then you've mm. got the high court, and then you've got, you know, the appellate court, and then you've got the Supreme Court and all that stuff, right? And then you've got the Constitutional Court and it mm. goes on mm. many levels which mm. you're not taught in your average civics mm. um, class. Mm. But you are made to believe that justice is fair mm. and that if you are not necessarily satisfied mm. with a verdict, you can appeal. And there are several circuit courts of appeals where there's different panels of judges who can then judge other people's judgments and all that stuff. So... Again, fallacy of choice, because at the end of the day, still there'll be one or two, three judges sitting, and they, once they overrule, they can literally overrule all the appeals and everything and still mm. end up, and you up at square one. Mm. Yeah, but look, there's a, there's a lot that is complex. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot that we need to negotiate um, and navigate as as a people in terms of the system, but it doesn't, you know, I didn't think that it, it, it should make us be intimidated. And that's why I've written it down so that, I mean, it's, 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 it sounds so complex and so intimidating. But if you write it down, then it becomes digestible. And then yeah. you, can, you can see where the deception is. Um, and you can see where the evidence is. Um, and what that d does, you know, in as much as ignorance leads to a lot of wrong happening, you know, I guess the reason why we've become so tolerant to um, a lot of things that's going wrong in Africa is because we've been ignorant and 
And what knowledge does is to reverse that. There's nothing as amazing as a person who is enlightened. Um, and I, that's what I'm trying to do, just contribute to um, you know, the vast um, you know, uh, um, the, uh, resource of, of, um, mm. of knowledge that um, you know, we can tap into as Africans. And I think that's you know, what, what I found frustrating is that uh, often our people don't have somewhere that they can quickly reference to um, to get a, a you know a point of reference about who they are, their identity, um, and uh, and where they 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 need to be going, and I think that's that's what I'm trying to do in the book, just to make things a little bit more easy and digestible, um, so that we can sift, you know, the the the, the fallacy and and the deception from the truth. Once we get to the truth, man, um, I guess it's just going to be a cascade of... Uh, I, I believe in, in the power of what we can do together. So the book does not come with solutions, but it just gives us hope um, that if we believe in ourselves, um, there's so much that we can do. Yeah, hopefully we can all get together. And, and also, um, that's another reason why we're doing again. I'll keep talking about... Um, why we're doing this podcast episode and making it visual. Because mm. like, like I said in the beginning, this is the executive mm. producer edition. Um, that, the point you made earlier about having a quick reference point mm. other than just Wikipedia, you know, where Shaka Zulu was a <laughs> five, six <laughs> tall guy. But um, having a... So this podcast aims also to be a repository by reviewing the chapters of the book mm. and also inviting special guests and having um, relevant commentary around those very interesting subjects. Mm. It, it aims to be a repository, yes. a summary repository of more information about Africa mm. and African identities. And some of the stories, let me, let me stir the pot a bit. Let's talk about Rwanda. What's the deal? You found out some stuff about Pokagami or something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's make this interesting. Yeah, uh, Paul Kagame. Very interesting. Uh, I think uh, it's amazing. Talk about the heroes of Africa. I think mm. Paul Kagame is one of the top African people. When you think of you know, African leaders, he, you know, he's tops out, up, up there. Yeah, he's like he, a phoenix. He just, you know, the yeah. country was in, in, in flames and then out of the flames came out Pokagami. Anyway, go yeah. tell the story. It was very interesting. Yeah, so I, I think that um, it's, it's incredible, um, you know, Paul Kagame's story. And we, I think we all know the story. Um, and um, it's, 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 it's interesting because uh, there's so many people that love Paul Kagame. Uh, especially because of what he has done. And uh, we, we all have got affinity to stories of progress um, and, um, you know, what he has done in, in, in changing Rwanda for, you know, from a, a place of uh, pity and tragedy to a place of hope and, uh, and aspiration. Uh, that's incredible. But there's a, there's a lot more that we... Um, we don't look into, and I think um, the book really helps 
to just zone into or zoom into into uh, Paul Gagame's background and um, and his um, uh, his impact in the recent um, African history, um, his impact into how things have um, um, evolved and um, and unfolded in Congo, for instance. Um, and I, uh, I did not know that there was a relationship between Rwanda and Congo in that way. Mm. I honestly didn't. Mm. But you do, we, we keep going around in circles talking about it. What happened? <laughs> what, like, for the, for the sake of the people watching and those who are going to listen to the episode. Yeah. So he was steering some stuff in the Congo as well. So I do know he went and, and did some military training in the US or something. Yes, right? he yes, was like, yes. You see, uh, Kagame comes from um, Uganda. As you know, the story of, of, of Rwanda is very complex. So the, the Hutus and the Tutsis are a very complex story. But effectively, in the 1960s, when you had the independence of Rwanda, um, you had the majority of the Rwandese um, who were the Hutus taking over government. And consequently, uh, the Tutsis, um, who were the initial um, rulers or governors, um, they had to they were ousted. Uh, but that led to some of them leaving the country. And um, Paul, so Paul Gagame is a young child. Uh, his family was exiled to um, outside <coughs> Rwanda. So mostly. People who have moved to Tanzania and 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 uh, end up in Uganda it. and yeah. stuff like that. So he grew up in Uganda, and um, when he um, when he came of age, uh, he went into military. So he was in Museveni's uh, military and went up the ranks and became a general. And you know the ambition of you know once you are in that sort of space, the ambition is to get your freedom back. Uh, and so, um, you know, that is what led to the 1990, um, you know, attack um, of um, the uh, of the um, of um, uh, Paul Gagame and them to get the you know to to get to um, get their freedom back from the Rwandan government. Um, yeah, so th- that that was a very tragic story because. Uh, Paul Gagame was um, U.S. Uh, supported, um, and I think this is really more more than Kagame. It's, it's when you start to see who the real enemy um, of um, the African progress is, um, and I'm mean, so the, uh, the whole of African story is filled with um, people who. Um, got support from European countries, be it France, um, you know, England and, and, and America. And these would be so commonly forth. their previous colonial masters. Yes, right? certainly, you know. And so in Kagame's case, he was supported by U.S. Uh, because U.S., as we know, in, Rua, in, in Congo, um, they had been supporting Mobutu Sissoko for a long time. But uh, Mobutu became, um, he became a... a um, a, a lost cause, really. He was uh, more of a um, of of a, um, a um, what's the word? Um, he was 
uh, a deficit or uh, what's the word? Uh, he was not really positive for the cause. Like it was of, a liability. A liability. That's the word. And so, um, and so, US was looking for a new way um, and get a new alliance and so forth in order to change, um, you know, the Central African um, um, pro. Uh, projection of, of, of things and where they wanted to go in terms of, um, you know, resources, uh, natural resources, and, and so on and so forth. And that's how then they supported the Ugandan uh, military, um, Paul Gagame being one of the leaders. And uh, yeah, and ultimately, uh, then it led to Gagame <coughs> um, um, uh, being in the in the lead, I mean, if you if you look into um, the um, the evidence around what actually led to President Juvenal um, Haribiana, who was the the president in 1994, who was who was assassinated, um, Habariana or Juvenal Habariana was assassinated um, through um, Paul Kagame. Um, his army, and um, you well, know, was he a rebel leader at the time? He was a rebel leader. Um, he was a rebel leader at that time. And um, when um, asked, I mean, it's it's it, you know, he's still being asked this question all the time. Uh, when asked, his um, his reply is is always, "Look, it was in the middle of the war. Um, if I didn't kill him." I was probably going to be killed. Um, but the truth is, um, you know, it, it was a plan which was really meant to take over Rwanda and subsequently take over Congo. But it backfired. It backfired in a, in a serious way which led to um, the genocide in Rwanda as we know it. But you know, it's 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 crazy because as Africans, it's very difficult to talk about that history. Um, Kagame has silenced a lot of people for talking about um, the mm. realities in his country, um, precisely because if you talk about these issues, um, you are labeled all sorts of things. You know, um, you know, genocide there or all these sorts of things like sympath- genocide sympathizer. Exactly. Um, but no, it's 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 about you know it's about the truth. If we don't um, talk the truth, then we um, you know um, we're going along the the, the wrong path really, um, and uh, we cannot afford to be deceived um, further in the light of um, you know the the African history. The only way that we can really um, you know, um, be fully emancipated is if we um, are one with the truth, you know. I remember um, doing a podcast uh, during the first lockdown mm. last year. And on, um, on that specific episode, we had two ladies from that part of the world Mm. And it was a great conversation up until we got to the part of the the genocide thing, which was like one third through the episode. Mm. I sort of wanted to stir the pot a little bit because then, yes, it was an episode being recorded. But basically, I was trying to just have a conversation amongst Africans, Mm. right? Mm. So 
in your country this thing happened, you guys are like sort of, because they, I don't want to, you know, speculate that they're here in Australia as a result of that, whether they came in as refugees or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that. All I'm Mm -hmm. saying is I wasn't there. I'm not from that part of Africa, but I'm African. Mm -hmm. And who else to hear the stories than from you Mm. who was in that situation, whether as a child or the parent. But then I, I, thought, I thought at the time that we could have that open conversation. Because mm. then I, I want to be educated rather mm. than read it on Wikipedia or, or any Google yeah, result or yeah. something, whether it's an MSNBC article mm. or, you know, New York Times. I, I should hear it from the person. Yes. But they, they were not free at all. To talk about it. If anything, <laughs> even after the recording was done, yeah. they listened to version one and they said completely cut out anything from the genocide mentioned and so on, which we were obliged to do. Mm. But we can't even have that conversation amongst ourselves. Man, it's, it's, a, it's very painful. Um, it's very painful because our people are being stifled. You can't talk about these sort of things. Um, and uh, I think the more we tolerate that sort of um, behavior and that sort of, um, um, you know, living is is the, the deeper we get into the subjugation. And I think our time for, you know, um, our time for freedom is now. And 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 that freedom starts with the freedom of speech, you know, and a freedom of choice and a freedom of movement. Um, because, you know, you can't, do this. there's something that you cannot do with a human spirit. You know, human spirit is boundless, you know. And once, the, once you start to put borders and limitations around human spirit, um, it's a recipe for disaster. Mm. Um, and Rwanda, it's, 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 it's one such a it's, a, it's a country with a beautiful, um, optimistic future. But at the same time, uh, it's ruined by, you know, the. I think there's a, there's a, a lovely expression that I like in the book. It says, um, in as much as he's such an impressive leader in Africa, he's probably the most uh, repressive. Um, and, and, you know, people, some, some people will say, you know, but dictators do very well. Um, but in, in the interim. But, you know, you don't want to be a dictator to a point where people really struggle to say their view mm. and you silence the, the dissenting voices. And I think that's the story about Rwanda. Um, and the painful thing about Rwanda is that people don't know the truth. I mean, for when you are outside Rwanda, <laughs> often you think, but how come is something so obvious? How come it's so complex? Yeah, but according to the Rwandan, Rwandan culture itself, um, you know, you—it's very difficult to know what the truth is. And also, it's all muddled again. You know, mm. there's—you have censorship, you exactly. have um, storylines, premeditated storylines that are then forwarded more than other storylines. Then mm. you've got um, just general fear. You know, fear reigns in 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 a lot of these people's hearts, and then. They don't find their voice, right? Mm. They they have a voice, but they don't find their voice to the point where they can openly talk about something mm. um, without fear of being labeled, whether it's a pessimist or a sympathizer or something like mm. that, which is again a systemic problem. And it's it, 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 these those are sort of you know real fears, you know they are uh, genuine fears, 
Um, I mean, if you look at Rwanda and Rwandan story, uh, there's a typical example of what Franz Fanon was talking about, about collective PTSD, post-traumatic stress, stress disorder. PTSD is a very common, a very known condition mm. in, in Rwanda. It's because people have had, you know, um, direct, uh, you know, uh, what you call it, direct contact with, with trauma. And that trauma persists. That threat persists. Um, and it's, 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 it's very sad, really. It's very sad because, um, you know, if you, those threats are very real. If you speak out your mind, it means that that's the end of you. Yeah, you know? you're putting yourself in, in the line of fire. Exactly. Not only yourself, your family. Um, life becomes unbearable for you. So as a result, because people want to live, you are better off just being silent. And uh, for a man who is, it's incredible. Kagame is untouchable. You know, if you look at the history of Congo, the first Congo war, in the Second Congo War, this where the Second Congo War, in fact, it's said to be the biggest war in the world after Second World War. Before you continue, mm. you in the book you mention that what did you call the Congo? Um, Somethingville, Leopold. Oh, Leopoldville. <laughs> Leopoldville. That's that's a good one. Like I said, I said this off mic as well. Leopoldville. Yeah, that's actually very, very concise. King yeah. Leopold's little background, mm. little backyard, where he had his own little local genocide as well. Do, yeah. you, do you cover a lot of that in the book? Yeah, in fact, a lot of what's happening in Congo now is very reflective of uh, <clears throat> what was happening in Congo uh, back then. Um, remember Leopold took over Congo um, when um, colonization started in Africa. So, you know, if... He, so who's this? Let's, let's set the scene. Who's this Leopold dude? He's from where? The Netherlands or... He was a king, he, he was a king of, of Belgium. Mm -hmm. um, and he started reigning around 1860, thereabout. Um, or 18, 18, yeah, 1865, I think. There, just when slavery was ending in America. Um, and... There was that 20-year period where there was uh, people didn't know what to do. Now that African slavery is ended, um, and, which, which which went into colonization. Though. Yeah, so colonization starts in 1885. So there's that 20-year period. It's very interesting that Leopold uh, II, the king of of Belgium, um, he just lived at the, at that opportune time um, where he thought, you know what. Um, you know, I think England was a, a good reference. England, France, and Netherlands were a good reference point in terms of what colonization can do for your country. So he had this um, colonial ambitions mm. to take over Africa, and he saw the opportunity. He wanted the whole continent, or he was part of the scramble for Africa? He was part of the scramble, but he was the instigator. Mm. Uh, a good friend. He must have been even related to um, the um, the Chancellor of, of uh, Germany then. Um, um, what was his name now? 
Um, a lot of these yeah. elite bloodlines are very much related. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. So, so the eighteen the Berlin Conference in eighteen eighty four uh, that ended. Uh, yeah, be- butchering be- the table. Beginning. Yeah. <laughs> beginning of 1885 uh, that ended. So that, it was, uh, that is what really concluded the scramble for Africa. Uh, but Leopold II uh, of Belgium was really the hero of, of, um, of the Berlin Conference. Um, and through America, through the help of America, he convinced the whole... Um, you know, conference that he doesn't need much, really. He just needs Congo. Um, and uh, he wanted to make Congo a free, a freehold with, you know, free trade and that um, with lots of benefits for Americans. So he got a lot of support from America. And um, unfortunately, he went in and, you know, although he had Congo as his own country, yeah, uh, but he ended up, um, you know, um, reversing all the agreements or the promises that he made. And, um, you know, it's, uh, he, um, it, Congo became a very uh, repressive and oppressive um, country. Um, and he was mainly trading with rubber. Um, Why the genocide, though? Because it's not uh, like they were very rebellious. They were pretty docile out there, no? Well, um, you know, he had this strange quota system where, you know, in order to meet the the rubber market in in Europe, he needed to produce a certain amount or quantity of rubber. And as you know, they were using quite crude methods, uh, basic methods quite then, because rubber was from the trees. Mm. So he needed, you know, manpower, people who cut down the the trees and... uh, and Work on extract, the plantations exactly, and so on, yeah. Yeah, and extract the rubber out of this. And so the quota system was very, very um, cruel. I guess it was at the background of, or the backdrop of, of, um, of slavery um, and already what was happening in Congo, um, that he just used those crude methods to, in order to uh, enforce, um, you know, those rubber um, um, quota system. So each day he would have a certain amount of rubber that's needed from a certain village. Mm-hmm. And if people didn't, um, you know, didn't produce enough rubber, then they would be cut, their limbs would be Mutilations, cut. Mutilations, yeah. It's crazy, man. They had gelatines and stuff. At every station there was gelatines if you, you know. It was a very practical thing. If you didn't do your court system, your men were cut, you know, you, today you lose your left hand, tomorrow your, your right hand. Um, it's crazy. Um, but anyway, it ended up with uh, 10 million yeah. Cong- Congolese uh, dead. Out well, that's of the that. number that we're, you know, mm. that's written down, yeah. but I think it's a lot more than it's that. It's a lot more than that. On that very sad note, mm. we do have to conclude this episode. Thanks mm. everyone for watching. This was a sample, a teaser, a taster. Um, regarding the next several episodes Mm. and seasons to come. Mm. Um, We do have other hosts, but they're not in this episode because this is an exclusive executive producer episode where we're talking about the show itself and also the the type of content um, that you can expect. 
Well, thank you. Um, it was really um, interesting and, um, you know, it, it, it gives us a taste of some of the serious realities that, you know, things that really confront you in the book. Uh, but certainly these are the things that we need to talk about and uh, and hopefully our conversations can lead us somewhere meaningful. For sure. No, thanks, Cranston. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome, fellow executive producer. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, enjoying the episode with us. We really enjoyed uh, being with you. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe and click the notification button.